All right, so this morning, as Father Robert mentioned, we are celebrating seven baptisms of seven children and welcoming them into the family of God. Baptism, one way you can think about baptism is baptism, baptism is the sacrament of initiation, right? This is a joining of the people of God throughout the whole world, all across time and space. That's what's happening right here in just a second, right? It, it seems like it's a small thing, but it's it's expansive. It's almost as big as the Lord because it's a joining of his family. And if you look around and you think about us as the family, right? We're, we're part of God's family, everyone in this room. We're a little bit of a strange group, aren't we? If you look around and look at all of us. If we were maybe not meeting in this beautiful church building, maybe if we were meeting outside in a park, people might walk by and they might not be sure what to do with all of this, right? They might look at us and be like, what, what are all those people doing together? It wouldn't be immediately clear what we all have in common. A way to think about it is we might say it might be hard to see the family resemblance that we all share with one another, at least from outside appearances. The church is one big global family. We actually have a representative of the global church, uh, Bishop Georgia Coth from Tanzania. Um, he's going to bring his greetings later on, but he's a reminder that we're, we're caught up in something that's, that's bigger than us and just this group of Christians gathered in this space. And it's not our physical appearances that are the thing that unites us. There is one thing that each and every one of us in this room shares, though. Jesus. Those of us who've been baptized, we have been baptized into Jesus's death and resurrection. To put it another way, and this is kind of where I'm going to spend my time in, in our sermon this morning, we all participate in this mysterious way as those who are made in the image of God with the image himself, Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to look at our gospel passage, specifically through the lens of baptism, right? It's not a baptism text per se, but I think there's a connection to baptism that we might see and how baptism is actually an invitation for us to live more fully into what it means to be the image of God. So our gospel scene, it opens with Matthew telling us that the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, right? They're laying this trap for him. At this point, Jesus kind of has a little bit of a reputation as a troublemaker, right? One who doesn't fit in well with the current religious leaders of his day. And the trap might be there so that they can catch Jesus, maybe put him in prison, just get him out of the, the public consciousness, and so the bait, it's set out there. They send the Herodians, not just the Pharisees, but the Herodians as well, who represented the Roman ruling power. And what do they do? They, they pay Jesus this false lip service, these, these backhanded fake compliments. What do they say to him? Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. They don't, they don't believe that for a second. They're, they're trying to let, it, let his defenses go down. They're kind of trying to butter him up a little bit so that this trap might, might take into effect, right? You don't care about the appearances of, of things. You, you'll tell us the truth. And behind these seemingly sweet words, there's some poison they're waiting to unleash, a test of Jesus's loyalty. What's that test? It's a, it's a really simple question, um, at least in the outset. 
Tell us, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Seems pretty straightforward, right? If there are taxes to be paid to the government, then as a citizen, that's what you do. But remember, the Jews at the time, they're under Roman occupation, and they were being forced to pay taxes, kind of whether they liked it or not. That was kind of an exchange for protection from Rome and also the other good things that were associated with the Roman Empire, things like infrastructure, roads, all of that didn't just magically happen. It had to happen through taxes, through money. And there were many Jews who actually resented Rome, who were, there were whispers in Jerusalem all the time about revolution, of overthrowing Rome, right, of, of restoring the land that God had promised them. And so the trap is this. Would Jesus show himself to be a sympathizer with Rome, or would he show himself to be a sympathizer perhaps with, with the revolutionaries? Either way, Jesus might be in a bit of a bind if he kind of shows his cards here. But Jesus being Jesus, he sees the trap coming and he doesn't bite on it. Firstly, he, he recognizes it and he calls out the hypocrisy that he sees, right? He says, you are hypocrites by trying to, to, to trap me in this way. And then he turns things back around to them. He says, he asks for a coin, the coin that they're using to pay the tax, a denarius equal to one day's fair labor. So here I go again, right, talking about the Roman Empire. But again, right, it, it's, it's relevant. It matters when we read scripture. Jesus asked them when they produced the coin, whose likeness is on it? What's the inscription there on the coin? To which they answer Caesar. So again, pretty common. I've got a $5 bill up here. Whose likeness is on this $5 bill. Abraham Lincoln. You can see I, I picked the $5 bill, not a $1 bill, because the, the, the likeness is bigger. You can see it. This tells us, right, that this is United States currency. It, it, it bears the image of one of our great leaders. But here's what's interesting about this particular Roman coin. I want to read you the text that was on one of these first century denarius coins. This is what the text around the image of, of the emperor read. It read, Tiberius Caesar, worshipful son of the divine Augustus. Hmm, that's interesting, right? For some Jews, the text on the coin itself made the coin controversial because it was perhaps a violation of the second commandment. We are not supposed to have idols. The emperor in, in Roman times wasn't just the guy in charge. There was an understanding that he was actually the son of the Roman gods. And so he was worshipped like a god. So from a Jewish perspective, this is where the waters get even more muddy, is this is potentially idolatry by, by, by having a coin that represents this divine emperor figure. And notice also too, right? Jesus doesn't have one of these coins in his pocket. He has to ask it from somebody else, which gets Jesus out of being implicated in being a potential idol worshiper. And so we're gonna look at Jesus's response because I think this is where you see the true genius in how Jesus 
handles this trapping situation. Jesus says that we are to render, or another way of translating render would be to give back to Caesar the things that belong to him. So whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Well, that's probably Caesar's property. So if it's Caesar's property, you're fine to give it back to him. Nobody can dispute that this coin is a product of the empire. The coin bears Caesar's image, so give it back to him. Then Jesus says something that's really interesting. Jesus says that we are to render to God, give back to God, the things that are God's. God has left his image all over creation, but most clearly in humanity. When we read the Genesis 1 creation story, we see that of everything God created, what's the one thing that God created specifically in his image? Humanity, people. And this idea of image bearing in Genesis 1, it was connected to a lot of different things. Part of our ability to bear God's image means that we are able to relate with God, right? There's a relationship that's built into us. It's maybe having a depth of intellect or understanding and creativity that reflects something about God that's different than the rest of the created order, including the animals. And another thing, right, is Adam and Eve were tasked with taking care of God's creation the way that God wanted his creation to be. These are all related to image bearing. Bearing God's image as humans has everything to do with living in harmony with the way he created the world to function and knowing the depths of his love for us because he created us that way. So in Colossians chapter one, which happens to be one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, we see that while we were made in the image of God, Jesus is the image of God, right? Do we see that distinction, the distinction being made in the image of something and the image itself? So here's what that means. When we look at Jesus, when we watch him in action in the world, when we read stories about him in the gospels, we are truly beholding God in our midst. This is God himself at work in the world he created. And so going back to this coin analogy, if we are to give back to God those things that bear his image, that belong to him, well, what do we give back to God then as his image bearers? We give ourselves back to God. Do you see, that's the genius of Jesus here. He says the, the taxes, the money, the empire stuff, you can give back to Caesar, it's fine, it's his. But what's God's? People, us, as his image bearers, beloved and made in God's image. This is why in, in baptism, we talk about baptism as participation in Jesus's death and resurrection, right? As image bearers, we get to participate in something that the image of God himself did. We need to recognize that we and all human beings are made in God's image, our image bearers, and all of us were created to live in relationship with God and also that God wanted to order our relationships with one another. So I wanna talk specifically to the families that are, being, that are having baptisms happen in their family today. 
Um, for the older children, here's a question I want you to think about. You may not have heard and understood everything I was talking about this, but here's, here's the short version of it. We were made to reflect Jesus. That's part of what you're participating in in, this, in baptisms, is reflecting Jesus back into the world. And so part of what we, need, what we want to help you do is we want to help you learn what that image looks like, Jesus, so that we can better reflect him into the world. Parents, we're going to sing a song, and one of the lines in the song, it's a baptism song. Actually, we had a, a youth ministry retreat yesterday, a student ministry retreat, and I heard from one of the cars, they actually requested that the song get played because it's so beloved in our congregation. And one of the lines in the song says that may this gift of life, these children be given back to you, God. Given back to you. Given back to the one who, who, who created it all. And so parents, as you're baptizing your children and raising them up in God's ways, can you help them reflect that image? So for all of us, in a sense, I think baptism is a recovery of our image-bearingness. Sin has disrupted and disfigured our ability to bear God's image properly on our own, but God in his great love and mercy, he's restored that in us and has made us new in Christ. And this is done by putting our faith in Jesus, rejecting the ways of sin and the devil. One of the things that we commit to in the baptismal vows is that we're going to push back the ways of, of sin and the devil. And it's living more deeply into the things of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, this isn't our efforts alone that do this. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers this to happen in our lives. We might call this process, process of recovering our image-bearingness. I'm making that word up, but I think you know what I mean. We might call that sanctification of God making us holy and becoming more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So to be clear, baptism doesn't save us, but it's an invitation to dive deeper, right? Water imagery into this life of grace that we receive when we trust Jesus. I think it might be fair for all of us who have been baptized to ask ourselves, where in my life do I need to reflect Jesus more as his image bearers? Baptism isn't just done here at the font and it's it's done forever. It's this continual life of renewing that image within us. I think our gospel passage is also a reminder that we need to recommit ourselves to God to live into and out of the image we bear as his beloved. Our whole life is an offering back to God, a giving back to God, and a sharing in of his life. As members of God's family, we look around and we see God's image as we gather around the font for baptism in the image of the people next to us at the communion rail when we come forward for communion and in everyone we encounter in the wider community around us. While we're thankful for the baptisms of these children today, they're not out here on their own. This isn't just something that they're doing. They're actually being brought into our collective life together through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is my prayer for all of us. 
May we all be sent out by the Holy Spirit Spirit, to reflect God's image into the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.